A reading from Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. Who has believed what they heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. O Lord, have mercy on us. And a reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole region of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. O Lord, have mercy on us. And from John chapter 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? O Lord, have mercy on us. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. John, the writer of our gospel reading tonight, also wrote the book of Revelation. Probably know that. And it is one of those books of the Bible that people often mangle. People call John's book Revelations rather than Revelation. The Revelation is singular because because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. In a Peanuts comic strip from years ago, Lucy is struggling with her Sunday school memory verse from Revelation. 
Finally, she suggests that her struggles because it is a verse from the book of re-evaluations. I appreciate her mistake. The scriptures are a book of re-evaluations. They help us to re-evaluate our own ideas and our own situations, and I hope we can do a little bit of that tonight. This evening, we continue our sermon series called Witnesses to Christ. In Lent, we have been looking at the lives and perspectives of those who were present in some way for Jesus' passion. And our goal is to know the story a little better, of course, but also to prepare our hearts for Holy Week. Not all of these witnesses are Jesus' followers from the beginning. Jesus is faced with opposition from the crowds, the religious leaders, from human government. In fact, today we come to John 18 and meet Malchus. Now, we don't actually know very much about him. All four Gospels record this event in the Garden of Gethsemane, but only John gives us names. Jesus had been praying with his disciples in the Garden, and we get a more detailed account of this prayer in in all of the other Gospels. We can guess that Malchus was not there in the interests of the kingdom of God, though, The whole crowd comes under the cover of darkness, physical and spiritual. Malchus is a servant of the high priest. Such purposes should align between Jesus and the Jewish priests, but sadly, they do not. And here, Malchus is following Judas, who leads a group of soldiers and officers of the chief priests and Pharisees to Jesus. And here, Judas intends to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, just as the prophets had foretold. And what a dark moment. But the willingness of Jesus to treat Judas so equitably, even here, while knowing all along that he was the betrayer, is one of the great mysteries of this whole gospel narrative. We'll deal with Judas in this sermon series on Monday, Thursday, given Pastor Redditch is doing the same thing that I'm doing. At the beginning of our reading, we hear, Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. This band of soldiers, or cohort, were Roman soldiers. And Roman soldiers will also come into the picture on the next day. That's when they will mock Jesus, flog Jesus, and crucify Jesus. The crowd that collects here represents really three distinct groups, all in opposition to Jesus. Romans, who controlled the country, chief priests, who controlled the temple, and Pharisees, who controlled the religion. This is something like the Supreme Court and Congress sending the FBI to arrest Jesus. And of course, Judas is leading this Jewish posse with so much firepower and muscle. His presence is certainly most painful for Jesus. And it is all about betrayal, the the worst kind of human treachery. And every time we celebrate Holy Communion, we hear the words, Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night 
when he was betrayed. This is that night, Thursday night of Holy Week. And on this night, the crowd gathers and chaos commences. Matthew tells us that with Judas, there came a great crowd with with swords and clubs. John tells us they have lanterns, torches, and weapons. And into the fray, Jesus steps forward. In our text, he speaks first and last. Even though this crowd comes to him in the middle of the night to conceal their activities, Jesus steps forward and confronts them. He asks who they are seeking, and they tell him they are seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus responds, I am he. Really, he just says, I am. This is another example of the great I am declarations that Jesus makes throughout John's gospel. And the strangest thing happens. This riot of soldiers and religious leaders and the crowd draw back from Jesus and fall to the ground. They are helpless even to stand, much less seize him. Jesus is one before whom violence cowers in shame, and in whose presence evil has to hide its face. Now, John just mentions this moment and then moves on, but it is quite telling. This crowd is defeated already. They must bow before the majesty of Christ, even here at his betrayal and arrest. Judas, Malchus, Jews, and Romans all fall in humility at the true presence of Christ. It reminds me of of John's own experience later with the ascended Christ. In Revelation 1, John sees Christ, the same Christ that he stood with on Monday, Thursday, but now fully glorified. John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and hate. So, just like in Revelation, in our story, it is only at Jesus' word that they can continue. Jesus is always in control, even as he is being betrayed and arrested. Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward. When his enemies come, Christ goes out to meet them. When Judas approaches, Christ doesn't run. Listen to what Jesus says back in in John 10. He says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Though the powers of darkness rise up against him, full throttle, Christ is in control. In in Matthew's gospel at this point, Jesus says that he could ask the Father for more than 12 legions of angels to come down and address this riot. Twelve legions of angels. There were 6,000 men in one Roman legion. And if you do the math, 12 times 6,000 equals 72,000 angels. That would have been a sight to see. And we may have even preferred that outcome. But Christ doesn't need 72,000 angels because Christ is in absolute control. He walks the road that he intended to walk from the beginning. And his calm is contagious. He even protects his disciples through this encounter. John tells us the purpose. 
This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Christ is calm because he knows the scriptures. He trusts the scriptures. And he brings peace to all who trust in him. Let's deal with this Malchus incident. Again, he is a representative of the chief priests. We hear his name only in this text, and he is never mentioned again. But he is an example of the many eyewitnesses to Christ's majesty and glory, even as Jesus is laying down his life for the sins of the world. Now, his experience that night is probably frightening. Malchus is not a soldier, and Peter struck Malchus with rather questionable aim. He probably was not trying to cut off his ear. But John reports, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Jesus will tell Pilate later in this same chapter, My my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. So, in our story, Peter does not yet understand the nature of the kingdom of God. And Peter's misunderstanding leaves Malchus' ear on the ground, detached from his head. This is pretty gross. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says to Peter, Put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. This is a harsh rebuke for Peter. In Luke's gospel, Jesus says, no more of this. But then he touched Malchus' ear and healed him. This is Jesus' last miracle, even before the crucifixion. While the sword blow was was rather inept, this healing is a master stroke. And, And what a moment this is. Malchus was clearly not a follower of Jesus at this point. He is there to see Jesus arrested. He works for the chief priests who are are violently opposed to Jesus. He is following the crowd under the cover of darkness. Yet, here he stands with this miracle resting on the side of his head. And it is undeniable. He is going to walk away from this supernatural encounter completely changed. He has had his ear cut off by Jesus' disciples But Jesus rebukes Peter, and he heals Malchus. What is Malchus supposed to do with all of this? Clearly, it is time for him to re-evaluate everything he has ever thought about life and religion and politics and the Christ. It's time for him to stand up against the chief priests and the Pharisees. It's time for him to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, we don't know that he did any of this, but really, how could he not? What a gracious moment this is. Jesus uncovers the cowardice of this riotous crowd who come against him under the cover of darkness and with betrayal, and he exposes them to the light of his majesty and grace. The crowd sees Malchus healed. It should have been a moment of true repentance for Malchus, at the very least. And just maybe he is among the many who come to faith following Jesus' cross and resurrection. In Acts 6, Luke reports, 
And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Well, that's Malchus. But how about us? We are here on a, a Wednesday night and, and hear the eyewitness account of, of what happened that night from John. No, we aren't, Malchus. We didn't experience this miracle in the same way that he did. But the eyewitness account is there for us, too. And I think that this whole event should cause us to reevaluate a few things as well. Jesus comes into our lives with majesty and grace. He comes with the definite plan of God to save us from sin, from the influences of the crowd, from our mobs and riots and misguided purposes. He brings light into our darkness. He reaches out his hand and heals us. His work in our lives should cause us to rethink everything about life and religion and politics and even Jesus himself. Everyone will fall at his feet, willingly or unwillingly, as his glory is unleashed on the world on the last day. Philippians 2, in Philippians 2, Paul tells us that because of his passion and cross, that the Father has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So let me encourage you to let this be that moment. In fact, let this be your whole life. It's time for us to get caught up in the passion story and and fall at his feet and submit in faith, in amazement and in allegiance to Jesus as our Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen.